Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to continue our draft countdown shows today. Today, doing the inside linebacker position. And here to talk to me about it, talk to, talk about it with me, is Jordan Coe. Jordan, how you doing? Good, Ken. Happy to be here. Yep. It's uh, happy to have you here, Jordan, as always. We're, uh, we got big plans to go to a baseball game tomorrow night. Where this, we're recording this early in the morning hours of 418 and uh, going to see the Nationals and, uh, and Orioles play. A nice, hot Orioles team right now. That uh, uh, I always love the fact of baseball. One thing I always tell people about my love of the game is I think the drama of baseball is all wrapped up in the walk. And people have never gotten that. It, 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 is, it is like that much played to during the Moneyball movie, but it's not really played to in the sense of all the drama it creates in a typical baseball game. And this Oriole team really knows how to grind. They do. And Gunner, you know, it, not off to a great start this year, but, you know, th- what, 13 walks and 13 strikeouts, I think, on the year. Um, loves to, The guy loves to take a walk. Yeah. Adley's leading. I think Adley's leading the major leagues in walks right now, but if he's not, he's very close. So uh, Mullins has a bunch of walks. So it's it's great to see this happening. And, and honestly, the Orioles of my youth were always a big on base percentage team. They didn't always do the other things right. Or a lot of other things hit for average or, you know, it was a difficult park they had for that anyway. But, uh, but I love that about the team. And this is, uh, it's great to see the Orioles after many years of the walk really being missing from their offenses is back. So that's exciting. Yeah, but we're here I'm to sorry. talk. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh I, yeah. I'm going to make a slight plug here for my day job, Ken, um, which is not typical on these, um, <laughs> but I'm super excited for the game because I picked up one of the game worn jerseys, uh, from a couple years ago where the Orioles played in the Braille named jerseys. Um, <laughs> so I do a lot of work on disability rights. It's a big part of what I do on a day-to-day basis. And so I am super excited. This is the first live Orioles game that I'll get to attend. I'll be wearing a Steve uh, Wilkers- Wilkerson uh, Braille jersey. So keep an All eye right. out. All right. Steve Wilkerson, the utility infielder who was the first to get a save in, in many years. Just an absurd set of circumstances that led to that, but, uh, but he, he got it done. Anyway, we're going to talk inside linebacker tonight is not a particularly strong class. So it's a nice thing that the, or that the Ravens right now get me all confused. All show come into this draft without too much of a need of inside linebacker. At least that's the way it appears coming in uh, makes that Roquan trade look even better. Yeah. You know, well, and, and we saw the value you, you saw, we all saw the value of the Roquan trade on the field. And I think the, what it did to plus up a guy like Patrick queen and his value of what he brought to the team. The interesting question I think in this season, as we look at it is, or as we head into it is does another team find value in the rising asset that is Patrick queen and can Roquan impart that secondary value to another inside linebacker that might be learning the system, might all kinds of different things. I think there are some really interesting guys in this prospect class that might not be the prototypical guys, but add a lot of different nuances to that component. And can Roquan, potentially, if there were to be a queen trade, bring out some of those qualities to the best asset of this team? Yeah, you know, that's that is a very exciting possibility you know i think the ravens have a pretty good inside linebackers coach now who's relatable in or 
to other people. But I think that's very important in terms of, of what they have, you know, after watching the Rob Ryan situation with Patrick Queen, that not seemed to work out. And then the light to go on in year three for Patrick was, it was a good thing. Yeah. Tough, tough moment. I, I understand Queen's reticence, I think to, to be out there and, and, and talking on social media and really uh, make a lot of noise. I think he's doing the right thing to basically stay a little bit quiet from, from what I've seen, but he's, he's taken the Ravens off some of his things is my understanding is, is Twitter and, and Instagram and whatnot. But what, what uh, uh, I believe has happened is the Ravens have, have basically told him by now that they're not going to pick up the fifth year option on him, which would be about $20 million. It, it just will not fit. I don't believe with what the Ravens have in terms of other obligations for the 2024 salary cap. And so it means that, that unfortunately, they're going to have to say goodbye to him. Now, they could say goodbye after one more year, get a great year of value out of Patrick Queen. And I wouldn't really be opposed to that. But they could also trade him now. And one of the things that makes it really more likely, I believe, that he'll be traded, I think, on draft day or possibly in the first round, possibly on the second day, um, would be if the, the, the class is so weak. And if there is a little bit of a run at inside linebacker, that would tremendously benefit the Ravens. The Ravens obviously don't need, don't have an immediate need there unless they were to trade Queen. And if they could trade Queen for significant value, I think they'd be it'd probably be the right move to reset at the position now and get out of out of uh, uh, get some value out of a 2024 option that doesn't really mean anything to the Ravens at this point. Yeah. And I think the other thing is that when you look at it, you know, $20 million is what the AAV that Roquan's already on, you know, it mm-hmm. is, it, it's very, e- this is an easy decision. And the Ravens have not made, you know, publicly have not said what they're going to do on this, but you're not going to pay a guy one year at the top of the market value. Um, when you just paid another guy at the top of the market value. And if you're not looking at the, uh, like a Navarro Bowman, Patrick Willis kind of situation, like you saw <laughs> in, in, you know, in, in for the 49ers where it was a dominant in terms of what they added, what they took away in the middle of the field, what it allowed them to do in other ways. If that's not what you're adding, there's just no realistic scenario where that fifth year option is getting picked up. Yeah, that, that's, that's a good point. Now they could negotiate on a long-term deal with queen, maybe, come to a deal that would be say 10 million per year. And I don't know if that's, if, if queen at this point would be looking for a deal like that, that was an AAV of 10, 50 for five or something. Um, I I'm not sure he's going to do that well after year four, but I think it's a possibility. And so that'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens when he, when he goes to the market and, and, uh, and makes what he makes. But, uh, but I do expect that he's either going to be traded this year or allowed to walk uh, next year. So we'll see, uh, how that works out. Um, one thing that didn't help Patrick's queen's chances to stay here was the Beckham trade, uh, that added up, uh, between 11 and a half and 14 and a half million of 2024 dead money that effectively could have been used to pay about 70% of Patrick's salary, 70, 60, 70% in that range. Um, but the NLTBEs, he probably won't get all of them, but he might get about half of them. And that's about one and a half of the three million puts him in about 13 million. And unfortunately that hit to 2024, along with some of the other things they've done with void years are going to create a big strain on that, on what they have in terms of cap for 2024. And I don't know if they're going to easily be able to tag Lamar next year, let alone uh, deal with Patrick queen in any reasonable manner that would make him happy. So I, I just think the chance of him being able to be resigned is very, very low. And I imagine the Ravens have shared with Queen and his agent and his representatives that without Lamar on some kind of long-term deal, that 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 makes it really difficult for us to stay. You got to do what you got to do. We see the deletion of, you know, the Ravens on social media accounts or whatever. I, I think that's all just business, um, you know, and and at the end of the day, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But that uh, if Patrick Queen does happen to be traded on draft day, a couple options, obviously. Malik Harrison could get a two-down shot at the weak side linebacker, uh, probably in a platoon role. So the Ravens would be moving more to a dime um, look, which means actually they're, they're probably a safety short of where they want to be, particularly if they want to keep Hamilton in the slot. They would need another safety. It's not just enough to have Stone and Williams for the back end. They actually need another 
either a linebacker or safety that they want to play in those dime situations with with Harrison, who I don't believe is a three down player. Another possibility is is uh, Ross steps up and he's the guy, and then he that well could work out. And he's more of a, a speed and cover guy. And I think that could be good. And there's other guys in this class. There's some pretty decent coverage linebackers in this group. A whole lot of tackling problems. We're going to get some of that. But some pretty good coverage linebackers. Yeah. You know, if Malik Harrison is given any significant role on this Ravens team uh, as a the inside weak side inside linebacker, I will be incredibly disappointed. Um, he'll be completely abused in any situation where you've got a quarterback that can audible and use motion to isolate him. As we've Mm -hmm. seen, Josh Allen did it to him. We saw Patrick Mahomes do it to him. Um, Malik Harrison is not the answer. And and if that's the direction this team ends up going, I'd be pretty disappointed. Um, I think that we'll only, I think Ross will be the guy that gets the shot if we see it, but I think it's probably, I think Patrick Queen would more likely have already been traded if that was the situation of what was going going to occur. And like you were saying, we'd have to see a pretty unique set of circumstances where teams saw the inside linebackers being drafted and felt like they had to make a trade in that circumstance. And like, I'd clock that at maybe a seven or 8% chance. Oh, I'm going to handicap it at higher than that. And here's the, 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 the recent, overvaluation of inside linebacker talent has been really extreme. We saw the two Devons get drafted at number five and 10. The Steelers made a huge trade up to get Devin Bush. Devin White went at number five. Patrick Queen, the year Patrick Queen went, we had who in front of him? Jordan Brooks at number 27. And we had other guys in that draft as well. I just, I, I'm not sure that trend has ended. And this class is so weak in terms of who there is at the top and who really can take a three-down mic roll. There's really only one guy who's an obvious, immediate three-down mic. After that, you really don't have much. So if you're looking for a green dot player, you're either sacrificing somebody, building your defense really around a will, or you're doing some other things. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit as, as we go. There may be somebody who's young enough to still grow into that mic roll, but a lot of these players are kind of old in the in the group. So we'll uh, we'll talk about that a little bit too, I think. So I, I'm... I think that there is a real chance and most of it goes in terms of how that number where that number one guy gets drafted. If he gets drafted really early, I think you, we might see a run on the position. So I, I would agree with your premise. I think that this class, I would agree with you is not at the same caliber. So, so the, the distinction that I would give you to like Patrick Queens class is that you had Brooks Queen and uh, Kenneth Murray in the same class mm-hmm. that were all kind of highly valued. You talk about the Bushes again, super highly valued. You look at, you know, going back to uh, like the Shazier, CJ Mosley draft again, highly valued inside linebacker type players in that process. I think the void of that is where I would, I would kind of say I, I would take a nuanced difference from you and that the lack of that top player drives the value way down. So without one elite guy that, or really you need two, right? So, and again, like looking at Jay Zier and CJ Mosley, who I loved as a Raven, but I think for value was a bit overdrafted without two of them, I think would have been drafted. Both Jay Zier and Mosley would have been drafted much later. Right. And I think that when you look at this draft, unless we're talking about a couple guys here all the way at the top, and I think they're the, our top two guys are probably very similar without those top two guys, um, being kind of in the top 25 or higher level picks, which I don't think they will be. Um, I think that I think that drives the value from my perspective way down. This will be re- one of the really fun things we're watching on draft night. Jordan, I don't know which days you're going to be on. I know you guys are are doing a little trip uh, out that time out to Vegas and whatnot. I, I don't have to give away your whole schedule, I guess, but uh, <laughs> but, but I, I know you guys will have fun there. And if you can join us from the hotel room, please do for even for it's only for a couple hours or whatever. We'd love to love to have you on. But it'll be one of the fun things to really watch for is just how that inside linebacker is uh, is is rolling out. Um, I think, you know, again, the only other thing I'd say about about the draft every year and inside linebacker is definitely a position where I don't feel like I've looked at every good prospect by going down even to number like 35 on some people's lists. And I think that this would be the year DaCosta has some small school guy up his sleeve who is better than my top 12 guys who I'm 
I had a hard time finding 10. In fact, I had to cheat on the 10th one uh, to, to put one in there as kind of playing out a position. Uh, but otherwise, I, I you know, I, it, it's not a very strong class. And I just think that, that DaCosta is very likely to have somebody up his sleeve from a small school that he really likes as a developmental inside linebacker, at least. I think we are definitely in a situation where UDFA options are much more on the table for this position. But that's also classic Ravens. You know, I, I anticipate or anticipate is probably too strong of a, word, of a word, but I would expect the Ravens, especially with the fewer number of draft picks that they have, to be really focused at inside linebacker and a defensive line in their UDFA part of this kind of this class. And seeing a devalued group like this is going to allow them probably to bring in a couple or more guys and inside linebacker, especially. And I think maybe even more importantly, looking at this, this special teams component of where this, this roster is and, and how many guys they've lost to play some of those snaps um, that we're going to see a f- more than a few guys get shots in camp um, at inside linebacker. Great point. And, and Christian Welch is still on the team at this point. He's in fact been re-signed for, I think one year. I don't think it was a two-year deal. I don't believe his deal is guaranteed. There may be, you know, 50,000 or something of guaranteed money because that's something the Ravens often do. But I think this is a case where, um, his job is not secure, even though he signed, would be my guess. And that if that UDFA linebacker comes in, there'll be an option for for uh, you know to to take the young guy. And they're also, you know, frankly, there's there's probably room on a practice squad, and your your inside linebackers not usually the first people uh, players that are pilfered from your practice squad. That was a mouthful. Yeah, and, and I think the Christian Christian Welsh piece is. I mean, I don't know if the Ravens would agree with this publicly, but really one of those dings on this team about decisions that this team has made over the last few years about guys they kept on the 53 on that initial wave. I think this is, you know, Welsh made it through, what, three or four years, two or two or three years on that initial wave. And the mm-hmm. Ravens have seen a number of guys be lost um, during that period where they really could have, it really would have been worthwhile to give that position to somebody else. And obviously the rest of the league doesn't value special teams the same way that the Ravens do. And a Zach Seiler would be infinitely more valuable historically to this team than a Christian Welsh. Yeah. Could completely agree. He'd be a good guy to have right now. The Ravens would, they'd be in the, the, um, market value component of his playing time now because he was an 18 draft pick. He was actually the first of the 2018 draft picks to get his second contract uh, taken care of by the Dolphins. But uh, yeah, we, he would have been really valuable during the period and in, in, certainly in uh, in 20 and 21. He, he was a hell of a player. All right, well, let's go down. Let's start at number 10. Uh, you are the guest. Please start us off with your number 10 guy. So the the guy I have at number 10 is Cam Jones from Indiana. Um, A bigger guy, not super fast. A lot of tackles, good volume from what you saw on tape, seemed to have a good head on his shoulders. Again, you mentioned this earlier. We're talking about a class that didn't look great. And for the amount of time that I spent on this, I think 10 to maybe even six or five were not easy choices to make because Mm – wasn't thrilled with any of them. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I have some comments. Did you have more you want to go through before you? No, that, that, those are my general comments here. So Jones made my honorable mention list. And I'd say it's a, it's a tribute to the crappiness of the class that he's the number 12 guy on my list because he's 12th and the last of 12. Um, uh, 6'1", 226, 469 in terms of the speed you're talking about. Short arm guy at 31 and a quarter. When you're shedding blocks, you don't really want that, obviously. He'll be 24 years old in October. So there's some of that going around in this class. Um, he is not the sort of athlete you want at 226 in terms of his size. Well, size and speed are not are not on the efficient frontier. Let's put it that way. You're not getting the 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 requisite speed you want from a smaller guy, or you're not getting the size you want from somebody who runs 469. Um, and, and you could live with 469 or you could live with 226, but you got to be better in the other category uh, there. He's been a pretty good run defender, gambles a lot to fill a gap, as I've seen. Um, the size limitations probably mean to me is, is, it's not going to hold up in the NFL level. Obviously, we've seen it with Queen. You got to be a really good form tackler 
to be tackling effectively in the NFL at that weight. He's got a 13.3% missed tackle rate in college. That's not a great place to start along with the age 24. So uh, number 12 on my list, he's a late round core special teams pick. And that's what I think we look at that player. By the way, I have no problem if Cam Jones comes to camp as a UDFA. No problem at all. He's, he, he's one of the guys who, who could be competing for a job. I just don't think he's worth a draft pick. You know? and, and I think I would go pretty deep on that because most of my other guys, I like want the Ravens to get with about a six. Uh, Cam Jones, uh, you know, if they pick up a seven at some point, I don't think they have a seven currently. Maybe that'd be okay. Yeah, there there isn't a guy I think that I have, like I mentioned, all the way to six that I, I wouldn't want the Ravens to spend a draft pick on. I, all these guys would be worth a look as, as UDFAs, fit into the system, see how they process. Like, you know, you got to put these guys into camp and see if they can make that jump to the NFL level. But none of them are, none, a lot of these guys at the bottom of my list are prototypical historical like early 2000s mid 2000s type middle linebackers that are just obsolete in today's nfl yeah already we'll move on to my number 10 guy and this is where i, I just completely cheated and I, I did not include this guy i didn't i looked at him but i didn't include him in my list of edge defenders but nick herbig of wisconsin has played edge in college um, the PFF guy thinks he's going to be moving to weak side linebacker. Definitely. I don't really see it. I think he's make a great Sam linebacker in the NFL, but the Ravens need a Sam linebacker. So boy, if we use one of our inside linebacker spots on that, that's, it would be, it's cheating. Of course, does not have the obvious off ball skills, but if he could move off ball, the things he can do in terms of lining up on the edge are, are very special. Uh, he has a lot of of very good pass rush technique that he would bring to the position. One of the things on the edge, he's, he's, his arms are too short. At 31 and a quarter, he's got real length issues. He looks small. He combined at 240, but I don't think he was playing at that. He looks smaller than that, maybe 230. Uh, not quite like a wide receiver, but small anyway. Did not play the run terribly, by the way, at Wisconsin. Um, 25 bench reps, so he's got real grown man strength. He will not turn 22 until November. So I really like him in that respect. Uh, and here's the great thing. He, he had a fair amount of coverage snaps in college, 311 total, only was targeted 36 times, 5.7 yards per target. That's one of the best inside linebacker numbers in the, in the, in the whole draft. And it really looks like a lot like what Tyus Bowser did at Houston. So, I mean, it's, it's a, this is, this is a player who, Frankly, if I'm looking at where I want these players drafted, he'd be up about third or fourth on my list. But I didn't want to cheat that much. So I just <laughs> I stuck a Sam in at number 10 on the ILB list. And uh, the only thing that kind of bothers me a little bit is he's got a 14.2% missed tackle rate in his career. So is he, is he going to be the ideal guy? Well, you know, you, you're going to pick up a few more missed tackles at outside linebacker. And it's just a little bit harder position to play when you've got a tackle on one hand and and you're trying to keep an hand free to, to, to play the edge. But I, in, in Herbig's case, I think that would improve moving off ball, but it's still something he's got to get better at. Um, size is really perfect for being an inside linebacker. So if he could make that conversion, great. And still provide you something. If he can't, I think he'd be a very good Sam in the NFL. Yeah. He was a guy that I took a look at. He didn't end up making my top 10, but it was because there's too, too much work for him to, be able to from what i was looking at you know make a decision about whether or not he could be a coverage guy i think i think it'll be interesting to see if he ends up getting drafted at an earlier rate you know obviously i saw the same list that you did that had pff had him higher um but i think that the upside of what you're asking from a coverage guy when we've got better coverage guys that are out there just drops him kind of out of that picture a bit for me right i think the pff thing i, I took with a grain of salt a little bit like geno stone uh, and how he was rated, not in terms of, of the overrate. In Geno Stone's case, is an overrate. In this, in the case of the PFF guys, take on Herbig. I think it's a. It's. I don't think teams are going to be looking to move him off that Sam position because there's too many teams out there that play a three-four and want his coverage skills at outside linebacker. And the Ravens always have hoarded that in a way that's been been really special. And frankly, he'd be a great backup edge. I don't think he'd move at all if he if he came to the Ravens. Um, but if he, if he ends up being Jarrett Johnson and a guy who can, you know, play two different positions for you, uh, that would really be pretty freaking cool. He'd, he'd have a lot of value. So, uh, anyway, my number 10 guy. 
So we go to your move on to your number nine guy. So my number nine guy is Noah Sewell, who I also think falls into the very classic. All these guys, <laughs> the next four guys, or the next two or three guys I'm going to mention beyond this, all fall into that classic middle linebacker era type guys. He's he's not fast enough. I think he's not great enough in coverage. He's a better tackler, and he's going to clean up a lot there. You've got a pedigree and a guy and a family that mm-hmm. you know knows football, and so there's there maybe you get a little bit more credit to that. But um, I don't know a guy that strikes me a lot like and and not to not to draw up the drama, but like kind of reminds me of a Manti Teo. Well, Sewell is my number five guy. So I, I really like the guy a lot. Uh, a big, thick linebacker at 6'1", 246. Uh, not as fast as he would love at the position at 464, but he has a good 10-yard split, 27 bench reps, a real grown man strength for him. Uh, but here's the kicker that I like. And I gave all of the players that fit in this category some, some definitely some significant bonus points is he's only 20 years old right now. He'll be 21 in eight days from when we're recording this. Uh, so maybe by the time you listen to it, but by draft day, he'll be, uh, he'll be 21, uh, 6.5 yards per target in his career. So that's always the statistic that I like to look at in terms of coverage, uh, two DDs and one interception, um, and a 105.6 passer rating against last year. So he's a little bit worse than that with 7.4 yards per target. Uh, in terms of a, his run defense, I think he's a way above average block shedder already right now. Something obviously that, that Patrick Queen struggled with entering the league at, a, at basically the same age. I, I don't think Sewell's going to have any problem right off the bat. Uh, so he's going to be a guy who, who I think can do that, but his diagnosis really needs to improve. He needs to know where the ball is going and be able to find the football. Um, one game that really gave me a lot of hope for him is in the game against UCLA. He ha- he was set up as a spy on Dorian Thompson Robinson a fair amount, and he was quick enough for that job. Did a real good job of not letting him get the edge. Now, DTR is not the fastest guy by any stretch among the among the mobile quarterbacks, but he still should be fast enough to beat somebody like Sewell to the edge. And Sewell was just he was good and he and he kept him in containment. Uh 12.5% missed tackle rate in 2022, eight missed tackles out of 64. It's not a it's it's not terrible. It's not certainly the worst in the class by any stretch, but it's the kind of number that you would expect to be better from a guy who has as much strength and as much obvious downhill uh, ability as Sewell does. Uh, rushed the quarterback extremely well in 2021 when he had a 34.6% pressure rate. That took a step back in 22 to 19.1%. Somewhere in the middle is where he is at the at the NFL level, and a lot of his value will come from that because he is just too big for a running back to pick up on the blitz. And he might be too quick for a lot of offensive linemen to pick up. So that's that nice, really body type you'd like to have from a blitzing inside linebacker. So you don't want to have to rely all on quickness like Patrick Queen. You don't have to want to rely all on power like, say, a Brian Urlacher or something might have been where you're always trying to run through contact. You want a guy who could do a little bit of both. And I think Sewell could be that guy. So another key player for the Ravens. Because if you're looking at the Mike linebacker group, the guys who can immediately plug in and potentially play and you give the green dot to at some point during year one is pretty limited. I believe he's one of the guys. Some team's going to have to kind of take a little bit of a leap of faith, but there's a lot of talent there and there's a great developmental opportunity. So anyway, that's the reason why he's not number five for me. Yeah, I think he might not. He didn't pop as quick as I, to me on tape as, you know, how you're describing him. And I think that's the difference between where I had ranked him and where you do quick in terms of reads or quick in terms of, of lateral speed and quick whatnot. quickness, like Patrick queen quickness as an inside linebacker, blow oh, definitely, you know, su- sudden <laughs> suddenness, et cetera. Right. And I, I don't think, you, you know, you had just something that you had said jumped out of me, which was this idea that he like quick enough to be inside offensive lineman. I think at the, at the college level, that's what we saw. I think at the pro level, it's going to vanish. And I think that's the thing that, that didn't, that held him back for me. All right. Well, fair enough. So that was your number nine guy. I, I had him at number five. So I'm going to go ahead with my number nine guy then who is uh, Owen Popo of Auburn. Papo. I got to say that right. Papo of Auburn. Uh, let me get down to my notes on him here real quick. Um, all right. So there's a, there's a plethora of inside linebackers who are wearing number zero. 
So it's a good thing the NFL is allowing that now because there's a lot of guys who, who are going to want it when they come to the NFL now. Another undersized guy at 6'0", 225, 31.75-inch arms. The number that makes him a discussion at all is the 439 in the 40s, by far the fastest of the inside linebackers in this class. Um, born 929-2000, so he'll turn 23 in September. Uh, he His tackling had been a problem before this year, and all of a sudden he shows up with a 6.9% missed tackle rating, dropped his career to 10.4% with that. So that is a great reason to want to take a chance on Papo. I don't love him in a lot of other ways as much. Even though he's been a high-rate tackler, He's a twist and drag guy. You really notice he does not drive through the body in the way that, that I would like. Uh, most impressive play I saw. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Saw from him really underscored the speed in, in, in terms of it being play speed was he ran down the Mississippi State wide receiver. And I don't know how you spell how you pronounce his name, but it's Griffin. Is it Lydatric or Lydatric? But whichever it is, it, it, he ran him way down. It ran him downfield from about a five or six yard deficit. And it was very impressive to, to catch him, even though it was a, it was about a 50 yard play <laughs> in the case. He's 6.1 yards per target career um, on a hundred targets. A lot of that is good downhill play to minimize receptions. Uh, I think that he's a potentially a good underneath zone defender. He's big enough for that. Uh, when he learns how to read routes off the line of scrimmage a little better not a great guy right now between L2 and L3, but he, I think he's got enough of the tools that that, that could grow. Uh, can make a contribution as a pass rusher, but he's got under under a 20% uh, career pressure rate, so that's not really exciting uh, to me. And his play speed is probably a little bit less than 439 in terms of diagnosis. That's it's he just He's not processing at that same rate right now. Um, but... Again, another guy you, you take a developmental risk on, and that's why I've got him at number nine in a, in a class that's actually really light. Yeah, uh, he did not. He was outside of my top 10 list. I think a guy that just did not seem to stand out to me, a little bit undersized for the position overall, didn't seem like. I think the wear and tear, what was his own? Oh, let me pull up my notes now. I think I, I had him, from what I saw, at what, six foot, 225. So, mm-hmm. Um, just wonder whether or not the durability from the inside linebacker position is one that's going to really be able to hold up in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, that a fair criticism. He certainly has to play Will at that kind of size. I would think he's not a Mike, but uh, uh, he might think differently for now, and then he'll, he'll take a few hits and he may feel differently. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're, that's, it was, I mean, I number nine guy. If you have more to say, we'll go. Otherwise, go on to number eight. Yeah. Uh, at number eight, I had DeMarvian Overshawn. Um, and I think a guy that brought a little bit more size and thump, um, I think six foot four, but brought a little bit more speed in that four or five range, um, or like the mid to upper four or five range. But for a guy of his size, um, popped a little bit more on tape in terms of kind of what I saw overall from him and a guy I thought just from a physical perspective would, would be maybe a little bit better of a fitted inside linebacker. I absolutely love him. Uh, so I've got him at number four overall. I think he's one of the really good projectable players here. Uh, X safety at one point, and you can see a lot of uh, the ability to diagnose the things is second nature to him. So there's almost nobody in this in this class. Well, there is nobody as good as him, and there probably hasn't been one for several years who's been as good as him in terms of understanding what's going on behind him between level two and three. Drops in zone like nobody, takes a very deep drop, takes away the football. Okay, and this is really incredible. 6.9 yards per target in college. That's okay. Two two touchdowns, three interceptions. Here's the big thing. 17 passes defensed in 118 targets. Let me put that in context for you. If you took the best NFL outside corners where there's a lot of time for the football to get there, they have a lot of chances to make a play on the football, they really are only in the same ballpark as that. 
So you know, Sauce Gardner is above that, but but and and a few other guys, but it's not a lot. If you're talking about about inside linebackers, ain't nobody who can touch him at the NFL level. And Tremaine Edmonds is the only guy who's really in his zip code in terms of percentage of targets with a pass defense uh, to it. So it, just remarkable in that way. And and that pass defense goes a long way. Uh, lots of good plays underneath. Uh, he could drag the seam, and at his height, he prevent provides fairly long arms too. They were 32 and a quarter. He provides a good barrier for the throw over for quarterbacks. So he'll drag the seam effectively like an Edmonds um, does, who's significantly taller. Uh, functional strength is a really big question at, at his size, a 15 bench reps. So he's going to need to get big, bigger and stronger in an NFL weight room. Uh, frankly, kind of probably plays at a, a strength that I'd expect out of a safety right now. Uh, has not had a great tackle rate in college. A missed tackle rate improved to 13.2%, but his overall missed tackle rate in college, 19.2%, which is, that is way too high. So that's, he's got to, he's got to be more like the others. You probably saw some things about his pass rush. Why don't I just let you take that? But I loved how he looked on the pass rush. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the versatility that it gives you. I think the knock on him and the reason I have him a bit lower is the weight for his height. Um, looks a little bit more slender when you watch him on tape. And from what I saw from him, that's a guy that if he can put the weight on, um, I think takes a little bit away from his ability to be that pass rusher, but is going to be much more durable and much more physical um, in the middle of the defense. I think he gives you that size and kind of the wingspan and the ability to take away passing lanes because of that. But not seeing, I mean, there are a couple other guys that I liked better as we kind of rise in this list from a pass rush or sorry, a pass defense um, coverage perspective that we didn't, you don't get from him. I think the trade-off was that you saw him being effective as a rusher. The question is, can he do that when he needs to bulk up in the NFL? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, at 456, he's obviously, he's right on the efficient frontier now where you'd want him, but but if he picks up additional weight to, to stay healthy, sure, that's a possibility. I, I, one of the things I really liked was just how well he picked his gap when he was rushing and uh, yeah, there's, there's a, okay. Green dog, the, the term, I know, you know it, uh, Jordan, but it's, 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 you're waiting to, to see if the running back goes out or he's committing to pass blocking or some other eligible receiver goes out and he's, and, or he's committing to pass blocking. And then you rush if you see that guy is staying in and Overshun was very good at picking his gap and timing up his blitz so that an offensive lineman's eyes were off him. The double team that would have applied to him, he did a very good job of beating that. And listening to players like Ben Powers talk about how they do that by feel, I'd be really concerned. I'd be really excited I, from in, in terms of having overshown about the you know the possibility of of him blowing through and 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 uh, and uh, having a good pass rush ability. And by the way, if you want somebody who who pretty much does what Patrick Queen does. Um, DeMarvin Overshone might be about the closest guy. And he's certainly, he's, he's got a bad missed tackle rate. You, you try to work through that. You hope uh, he's got a little bit less speed than Patrick Queen, but he's a much better coverage guy. So hopefully you're gaining a lot of what you would lose if you drafted him. So it really then becomes a matter of at what point do you get him? Uh, if, if he came in the fourth round for the Ravens, I wouldn't even mind if they kind of went off board for value on this. And he might even come later um, that somebody might say he's a fifth round pick. All right, so we'll move on to my number eight guy, and that's Ivan Pace of Cincinnati, another number zero guy. And he is the dwarf of this group. And it's, you know, it's an undersized group in general, um, but he's he's done some really outstanding things in college. But he's 5'10, 231. He listed like 6'0, 239. And if you look at this guy, there's no way. I mean, it's just very obvious, you know, he's a he's a very small guy, but but at the combine, 5'10, 231. 30 and a quarter inch arms. That's a real problem for block shedding. All right. That's not a big part of his game, but that's a big part of his, 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 uh, of the problem. 462 at the pro at his pro day, you know, so you immediately we're worried about it being a pro day measurement also, but it's not particularly good either. It certainly doesn't put him on, on, you know, that efficient size speed frontier. He's, he's off that curve pretty significantly. And then you look at some of the other things like the tape itself, 29 bench reps and good jumps, uh, just played one year at Cincinnati after three years at Miami of Ohio, but uh, he is uh, extremely fast sideline to sideline. 
Uh, I think he provides pretty decent zone coverage, which is amazing for a guy his height. Definitely downhill play in the past game. And another thing you really get is a lot of pressure. So he had a career pressure rate of 28.5%. That's high for a linebacker. It was 30.6% in 2022, which is the highest level of competition he's faced. So that's good. Um, so he uh, uses that uh, uh, the lack of size he actually uses effectively as a pass rusher. I found him dipping under blocks a fair amount. And he beat offensive linemen. He lined up in the A-gap and he beat linemen, which is really unusual to see from a from a small inside linebacker. You know, they usually have their hands up or trying to ward off the guy. He's not. He's, he's, he's duck and go kind of kind of move he puts on these guys. And uh, just very impressive in terms of, of how he handled that. Uh, the running back, he's not looking for unnecessary contact. Even if you could knock him into next week, he'll juke by him too. So exciting to see him play. Uh, 11.8% missed tackle rate in his career is okay. Not great. Not terrible. Um, it was 13.1% in 22. Um, you know, I, I would not expect at his size that's going to improve much in the NFL. But on the other hand, it, it might not get back. He looks to be kind of a workout warrior given where he is in terms of the bench right now. So uh, I, I he, was, he definitely had some exciting factors for me. I liked him, but 5'10", 5'11", and short arms is just not going to get it done. And even, you know, it, it, this is one of those interesting things where you definitely see him at times pop on tape, really good lower body strength. Um, you know, when you're watching clips of him, um, which makes you think that I think that's what allows him to bend the way he does at times use his strength to shed, even though he has the shorter arms, it's just that jump to the NFL. Um, my initial instinct watching him was like, okay, well, if he's smaller, you know, I never remembered Bart Scott, Ed Hartwell, or Jamie Sharper as being terribly big guys. Well, they were all Look six two and six, yeah. all six <laughs> two and all six three. Um, and so Pace just fell outside my top ten um, for that specific reason, and and that was the reason. You know, that that's the reason why I have had Overshawn at the the next spot because at six three, six four, depending on kind of what you were looking at in terms of size, just a little bit more prototypical in terms of what you were going to get, assuming that you were going to lose a little bit of that speed in terms of trade off. So pace is fun. And, you know, I, I think it's an interesting question as to whether or not he could be an elite special teams guy, because I think that that suddenness that you see from him could make him one of those. So that could put him a little bit more on the Ravens radar than 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 you did. But I don't see the Ravens spending a draft pick on him. I see him firmly as UDFA. I, I would I would agree with that. I think they probably think they can get him there. And if somebody else takes him, they'll say, well, we, we've got other guys. We'll try. So it's it's not the kind of thing where they're going to need to uh, uh, to to reach with a pick. Certainly he got five. I mean, they're precious. Even if they pick up a couple extra, they're still going to be precious. Uh, Ravens have a lot of needs. And um, the only way I think they'll draft an inside linebacker is for extreme value considerations, which I think could occur. But more likely it's going to be because they trade Patrick Queen on draft day. All right, that was my number eight guy. Who's your number seven guy? So my number seven guy is Henry Tato. To- <laughs> Henry T's and a lot of O's. Totoa okay. Toa. Is that how you pronounce that? Um, to-o, to-o. To-o, to-o. To-o, to-o. I, you know, and again, I think I, I you know, I, one of those guys, and again, I think that if Overshawn had played a little heavier for me, um, at college would have been way ahead of these guys and maybe as high as you had him. Um, but to, to Toa was one of those, I can't say that without laughing. Uh, one of those guys that again, and this is the last of the guys on my list that were kind of those prototypical, just like classic inside linebacker type guys. And, um, you know, at times would pop on tape at times would seem not quick enough or not strong enough. Um, I think a guy that, that, put into kind of that weak inside linebacker position moment um, could develop and could rise. But again, not none of these guys kind of on the bottom of, end of my list would I be putting a lot of stock in kind of making an impact anytime soon at the NFL level. I, I feel the same way about him in a lot of ways because I'm, I'm not super optimistic. Uh, he's, he's 22 and a half right now, or he'll, he'll be born in January. Uh, so he's, so he's past 22. Uh 6'1", 227 at 462 is not a good size and speed combination, obviously. Looks to me like he plays faster but smaller than listed. 
All right. One of the problems is he has a big missed tackle rate in his career, 14.4%. And that was also 14.4% in 2022. Exactly. So it's not like he's improved at all. Um, and given the amount of college playing time he's had, and he had two years at Tennessee, two years at Alabama and has almost 3,200 college snaps. You can't do that. And inside linebacker, even in, you know, that I know they're playing in a very tough conference, a very tough system there for, for him to convert a high percentage of tackles. And yet, He's coming to a league that's even tougher than that. So he's going to, he's really going to have to convert those. That was my big problem with it. He did have only 6.1 yards per target allowed as a senior, which was an improvement from his first three years, but he's allowed five touchdowns and one interception career in coverage. And some of that may be related to missed tackles. I didn't look back and I wasn't able to find all, all of his TDs. And what's one of the problems in scouting players is it's, it's easy to put the common threads together of what went right on his big plays by looking at highlights. It's very difficult to find out what was wrong about all the wide receivers' drops. Are they all focused drops? Well, you can only pick up drops by watching individual games because nobody's making a highlight tape of drops. That's unfortunate. <laughs> Nobody made a highlight tape of all the Henry Toto uh, touchdown passes given up for me to see if they were missed tackles or he was beaten over the top or what it might be. Uh, so I can find one or I can try and look them all up myself. And and frankly, that's that's more time than I can spend on one particular player who's 11th on my inside linebacker list. Uh, his experience is good, but the fact that he hasn't grown during that time is bad. If it's a fifth or sixth round pick, special teams guy, inside linebacker is a bonus. That's fantastic. But again, I not, not a guy I'd be excited about uh, drafting. Okay. And Toto was your guy. And he's my number 11 guy. So we're moving to, he was your number seven, right? That's right. All right. So we'll move on to my number seven, which is Dayon Henley. Um, a lot of people have him higher than that. And you might, because I haven't heard his name yet from you, from Washington State. He's got decent size, 6'2", 225, 33-inch arms, 454, 40. It's on the efficient frontier. It's good enough in terms of the combination of things. He did not bench. Um, and I haven't seen any number for him there, which I'd like to see from an inside linebacker. He'll be 24 in November. To give you an idea about that, Deion Henley is three months younger, three months younger than Patrick Queen, who is now entering his fourth season. So he's got to be further along in the developmental curve. And I can't really say that he is in a lot of ways, except for this. He's moved from wide receiver to defensive back to linebacker in terms of positions in his college career. In his last eight college games, and he had, he had a 5.2% missed tackle rate in his career, which is otherworldly. But in his last eight college games, he missed one tackle and made 63. So that's a, like 1.5% missed tackle rate for his last eight college games. Every year he improved as a tackler to an 8.2% career rate, which is excellent. And even within his final year, obviously, he was still improvement. So week after week, tons of tackles delivered. Um, that's all good stuff. Uh, and then you get to the other stuff that um, he had been an outstanding coverage player prior to 2022, but then he had a 101.8 passer rating against on 46 targets, and that bumped him down some. He does have five career interceptions. Uh, negotiates screen traffic pretty well to find the ball. I think he picks a gap and plays it as a run defender. Um, but he's kind of accounting for his own size limitations when he does that. Meaning he's saying, I can't beat a guard if he gets out front. So I need to pick a gap and be wrong at hundred miles an hour. And there's some of that going on. And he, he made some plays. He made some mistakes. If you watch a full game, you'll definitely see that of, of him get out of position occasionally and not be containing in the way you'd expect. You're not having the gap integrity that, that you'd expect out of his position. Um, 27 pressure, uh, pressure rate in his sixth college season. Uh, had a little bit of slipperiness beating linemen. Um, I think I to feel good about him, and I, and I, you know, I kind of do. I have him seventh. I have to project his coverage skills can return. And by the way, that one of the important things, those were all picked up at Nevada in the Mountain West. So his coverage skills, you know, lower level of competition. And that he'll be able to play the run as effectively or better against larger opponents. And I think at his age, that was kind of a tougher projection for me. Again, there's not a lot to choose from in this draft, but uh, but he's my number seven guy for that combination of factors. Yeah, I, I think all those kind of follow in terms of, of where you are and 
you know, we're there are flaws in all the players at this end of, you know, th- this kind of ends my run of kind of more traditional inside linebackers, but there, there are flaws with guys, even on the next two or three of my list. I have, I have him much higher than you have him, but I think yeah. I saw somebody that was a bit more instinctual overall on tape. Okay. Well, fair enough. Uh, well, you're, you're supposed to say where you had him and give me, and give oh, me am I supposed to say where? Okay. Sure. I've got, I've got him at number three. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. So number three, instinctive, other things? Yeah, I, I think the instinctive and then hold on. Sorry, let me go back to my notes here. <laughs> um, instinctive and I was just listening to you, Ken. Uh, wax poetic there. Um, did a lot kind of overall as well. You know, kind of showed some playmaking ability in terms of sacks, forced fumbles, um, solid tackler from kind of what I saw. But, you know, again, like you were kind of mentioning when you're watching highlight reels, you, you only see, you, you either see the really bad or the really great plays and, and really kind of the hard work done by the scouting teams on the NBA in between. will tell you more. I saw something that, that looked like it was a bit more firm, uh, but if it wasn't there, then, then it's not there. Uh, fair enough. Uh, so he was my number seven guy. Where do your number six guy? My number six guy is, let me scroll back down here, um, D. Winters from TCU. Um, and a guy that popped in terms, you know, we talked about everybody having their flaws. This guy is too small. Um, and if I'm going to be on some other guys who are not being 6'2", 6'3", kind of in the historical world of what needs to happen, um, you know, that's that's part of one of the issues that he's got. But Winters brings a lot more speed to the table, um, brings a pass rush component to the table with seven and a half sacks on the year. Um, over, or, uh, yeah, seven and a half sacks, I think I, I had him at um, solid run defender. But one of those guys that with that speed makes you wonder whether he's part of this new age of what you need in the NFL. And so he's a bit undersized, um, but when you can get a guy that's quicker and has that history of also being a pass rusher, just seem to have those nice little components that, that I liked, especially if you were looking at a guy that might need to be replacing Patrick Queen. Fair amount of sit to say about winters, but he did not make my list and I could not include him in the honorable mentions. He was actually in a no category for me. Uh, part part of it is size, but that's not really the problem at 511, 227 and 449. I, that's on the efficient frontier of, of, of size and, and speed, but all his other testing numbers are quite poor. And I could not find a birthday on the guy, which always worries me. So 22 is the claim. I really don't know. He's had four college seasons. So it seems like it might be reasonable. Um, when I look at the guy as a tackler, he's a hold on for dear life tackler. And that really corroborates a 16% missed tackle rate in college, which is terrible. So, you know, I, 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 to, to project that to improve after four full college seasons at TCU is, I think, a harder thing to do. He did improve to 7.1 yards per target in 22, but he's at nine and a half for his career. So that's not what you get. So most of what you get is, as you said, is is in the pass rush component. I uh, certainly got that to, to some degree, but t- to me, the other things, there wasn't enough in terms of his coverage ability or his ability to play the run for me to have him on the field on, on any obvious downs, whether that was, I, I, I'm just, I'm not a fan of having a guy on the field. Who's just a pass rusher at inside linebacker. If you want to do that and he's an edge guy and can kick inside all that guy's up, that's fine. If you want to have a, a, even an inside linebacker, you can be the third inside linebacker on the field and and be a guy who lines up off ball but picks a gap i could even be fine with that i don't think d winners is honestly good enough to be that guy in the nfl that's that his sacks are really going to translate to to what they did it, it could i mean he's a fast guy um and again if if the ravens got him on a udfa i'm thrilled let's see what the winners could do i'm excited but uh if if they if they use a draft pick on him i, I wouldn't be particularly happy yeah, I'm still in UDFA land here. Okay, very good. <laughs> and and I, you know, I think I mentioned, you know, I I think for the most part, I'd want maybe any number of these guys to live in the UDFA world. But it's also part of why I think that there isn't a lot of trade value potentially for Patrick Queen. I think that the the speed numbers on tape plus the sack numbers were a bit more enticing for me overall, and maybe maybe got me a bit more excited from from where you are. All right, all right, fair enough. Uh, and he was your number six guy, right? 
That's right. So we'll go to my number six guy. And and I didn't I really banged the T, the the Tulane running back, Ty J Spears, because I, I it was a lot of level of competition and some of the other things were not good about it. Still had him on my honorable mentions list, but he didn't make the top ten. Dorian Williams is my guy, uh the Tulane uh Mike. Sorry, uh, to the, the two lane inside linebacker, 6'1, 228, 33 and seven and uh, three quarter inch arms. It's about the longest in the class. I didn't see a guy who was at 34 inches in this group. 44940. Uh, he's born 6801, so he'll turn 22 this summer um, or early, uh, late spring. He's a really easy projection as a three down will. Okay, so he's a guy who will be able to play three downs. He could alternatively be a guy, I think, who takes the green dot for a team if you have a hybrid role. I'm not really in favor, by the way, of putting all that on his plate early in his career. But if you if if the Ravens got him, for example, and Roquan were hurt, I wouldn't have any problem playing this guy on three downs. And um, you probably wouldn't end up getting the green dot, but he'd have responsibilities that would shift as you move to dime back on the field to replace a two down Mike on other downs. So maybe Malik Harrison, obviously this is a difficult situation for the Ravens is your two down Mike and, and you replace him at the, at the Mike on third down the way they used to use uh, Chris board. But I think uh, Dorian Williams is a little bit better, a little bit better football player. Um, 6.0 yards per target was targeted 27 times only in 367 coverage snaps. So one of the things you always hear uh, from a Dean Pease or somebody else when they're talking about defense is if, if you have a guy who's not a good coverage guy, they will find that guy. And, and he's Dorian Williams is a guy who, uh, you know, they, they didn't have an easy time finding. They didn't even have an easy time picking on him. Only a 67.1 uh, opposition pass rate. Uh, I believe that is last year, but I could be wrong. That might be his entire career, and I don't have it tagged properly in my notes here, but you guys can look it up. Um, a lot is made of his inability to shed blocks, which probably should be better given his arm length. Um, but he made a ton of tackles and he missed just 8.3% of his tackles in, t- in 2022. Um, he completed a steady four-year improvement in that category. Uh, his career rates 10.7. It's not terrific, just average, but the 8.3% is excellent in his, in his final year. So that's good. Uh, tackling form is really good from what I saw. You, you, you look, he's driving through tacklers, not twisting them down. Um, he does a little bit of throwing them down violently. I'm okay with that too, by the way. Um, but uh, his pressure rate's a little bit low, 23% in 2022, only 19.5% in his career. So he's not the obvious blitz guy. I think he's more of a guy you want in coverage on, on third down. Uh, and, and it could make your team a committed nickel team if you had him. So if you're short on defensive backs for whatever reason, Dorian Williams is a fine guy to have at the will if you like your mic in terms of coverage as well too. So uh, uh, the other thing I, I really liked, Really good QB containment, really good usage as a spy. And specifically, when the pocket breaks, he's right on it. So the, the rule is at inside linebacker, if you're the guy who has the short middle zone or the short middle zone to the roll side, you're supposed to rush the passer as soon as that pocket breaks. And because you're, you're can't be contained uh, by the uh, by the rush guys anymore, obviously, once he's outside the pocket. And so you have to put pressure on the quarterback and that's your job. He was excellent at that. Got there quickly. Uh, you really saw the burst and his speed pay off for them on, on those. And he contained well on those, too. Got some good takedowns uh, uh, on those. So I like him, like him a lot. And I have him at number six. Yeah, and he's a guy that I had at number four. So I really liked him as well. Um, like his speed, like kind of the instinctiveness that you had from him. And, you know, obviously what you saw from, I might be giving him a bit of a bump due to kind of what we saw on the field from Tulane, but a guy that, that every time I kind of saw him um, on some of these plays looked, looked really good and was, was super impressed with. All right. So Dorian Williams is a guy I really loved and I still had him at number six. I had Overshone and Sewell ahead of him, but you basically had Overshone and Sewell behind him. That's right. And that makes up a lot for them. And I've got uh, Hensley in front of him. Oh, you got Hensley in Henley. front of him. Hen- Sorry, Henley. We will get back to that in part two of the show. And we're going to take a little break now. But Jordan, tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Yeah, you can find me at Raven Sit Room on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, excited for this upcoming year and putting out our podcast where we're trying to break down some of the impact plays that are happening in uh, each of the Ravens games and getting that content out to you on Sunday nights. All right. Outstanding stuff. He and Gabe Ferguson, who's at Gabe Fergie. Uh, great conversationalist, but they are—they have a terrific 
uh, take on the game. And Jordan and, and Gabe both are on the show a lot and uh, really always love talking football with them. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on the show and you want to do a That One Play episode, something about the draft, maybe after it's happened, uh, we're kind of running out of time before it's happened to, to, to do additional shows. But if you also have any franchise building topic or you'd even like to, to talk to me and take two players, one offensively and one defensively, I'm going to be looking for some people to do those shows. They've been a lot of fun. Jordan, who did you do last year? Do you remember? You took an offensive and defensive player? I don't remember. <laughs> I really enjoy the programs anyway. They're, they're, you know, it gives you a chance to focus and kind of cross-sectionalize people's views of the position groups in terms of what's going on. So I liked having a lot of people at the mic talking about different safeties, for example. And so some of that was uh, was fun to do. But get uh, send me a DM on Twitter if you have an interest in any of those kind of shows. Uh, Jordan, thanks again for coming on. Happy to be here again. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.